Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Twice Freed by Patricia Sanjan with permission of Christian Focus Publications. We are on Chapter 8. Philemon slept till 11 and then woke with a start. He must not be late. They would be gathering in the schoolroom, and he must not miss a word. He felt like a child standing in the edge of a vast, shoreless ocean of life, love, and truth. Paul had spoken of the love of Christ that passes knowledge, but today he would at last begin to know a little. And they would all go on together, he, his son, and his slaves. The Son of God had loved them, too, and given himself for them, and they must hear and understand. Archippus recovered after a good night's sleep and was waiting impatiently in the atrium, and he, too, took one look at his father and knew. A terrible feeling of loneliness swept over him for his father had gone ahead when he could not follow, and the holiday which he so looked forward was ruined. Deep in his heart, unacknowledged even to himself, with horror and disgust at what he had sensed in the temple, and yet he had heard enough of Christianity to know that it cut right across worldly ease and prosperity, popularity, and the usual methods employed in money-making and getting on in business. Besides, it involved confessing and forsaking sin, and Archippus had every reason to avoid that. He stood staring miserably until Philemon bid him get ready, and all four started up the hill. It was not easy going. The crowds flocking in the direction of the theater were in a fanatical mood, muttering, lowering, catcalling, and had not Paul been accompanied by two of the stolth, muscular Macedonians, he could have hardly reached the school in safety. As it was, a group of intimate friends were smaller than usual, Fortunatus and Articus and Stephanus, bearing the precious letter to the church of Corinth, were already down at the harbor inquiring about a ship bound for Greece. But at last they were there, and the gallant little teacher stood on the dais, breathless, mud-spattered, a swelling bruise on his forehead and the light of God in his eyes. Perhaps he knew that the time was short, for he spoke with an urgency that could not be mistaken. Was there any man present whose loyalties were divided, who had any hope or trust for this world or in the next, any but Christ? Christ by whom all things were created and in whom all things consist. Christ in whom we are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If so, let him acknowledge it and turn away from it forever, lest he be a castaway. There was a sudden stir in the audience, and a white-faced man pushed to the front and flung down a scroll at the apostle's feet. I have lived by my magic arts, he whispered, but now let me cling to the power of Christ. Only a whisper, but it was picked up and carried along to the packed ranks of people. A woman burst into tears and made her way forward and flung down a silver charm. Burn this, said Paul vehemently. What fellowship has light with darkness? What has Christ to do with idols, or the power of the Spirit with the power of Satan? O my children in Christ, if any of you are harboring idolatry. His voice was drowned, for the whole room was astir. Quietly and without undue confusion, men and women and children were pressing forward, while others made way. Many were weeping bitterly as they flung down idols, souvenirs of goddesses, charms, and scrolls. Philemon came forward without hesitation, but he was not weeping. His face was aglow with unearthly radiance. For the first, he was letting go all else. To take hold of Christ with both his hands, he drew the two Ephesian letters and the silver images from his wallet and laid them on the growing pile. 
bring a brother and a fire, commanded Paul. Gaius and Articus and the Macedonians went to the nearby house and brought what was needed. One by one, the scrolls and books and letters were added to the flames, and silver charms and idols were melt down for the work of God. There was no more preaching that day. Many of the congregation had gone home, returned with cherished symbols of hedonism, and all through the afternoon the fire burned, and Gaius and Articus fed the flames, carried away the ashes. It was not the first time this had happened, and they were used to the work. Not long before, they had publicly destroyed magic books and charms to the value of 50,000 pieces of silver. But more and more were believing and being drawn to trust in Christ and Christ alone. But the fire was straying, straying out through the windows, and when at last the company left the hall, they were met by an ominous muttering and black looks. Mercifully, most people were either sleeping through the hot hour or collecting round the theater. But even so, the boys were glad to reach home in safety, gladder still to set out with the crowd after a meal to watch the wrestling bouts, although Philemon refused to accompany them. I shall return to Paul, he said. The time may be short. He cannot survive the Artemisia in safety. Philemon was right. The time was very short, and the news swept through the frenzied city. They had burned the scrolls and melted the idols, and by the third day it was impossible to reach the precincts of the school. Philemon sat for hours with Paul on the weaving shed, and the boys roamed the streets and saw plays and contests to their heart's content. But they knew the muttering thunder clouds might soon break, and Archippus feared desperately for his father. Father, he said late in the evening of the third day, when Philemon, under the cover of darkness, had just returned from Aquila and Priscilla's house. Shall we not go back to Colossae? You seem to have lost interest in the gills, and my mother would be lonely. We shall go soon, my son, he answered his father. It cannot be long now. The storms must break very soon, and I want to be with Paul when it comes. Well, I don't, answered Archippus, beginning to panic. Why throw away your life, father? Think of mother and little Pascasia and me. I do not think I shall lose my life, said Philemon quietly. Have I not just begun to serve Christ? Has he not called me to carry the gospel to Colossae? And to suffer for him would be great gain. If we suffer, we shall reign with him. Oh, my son, if you knew. I know, I know, but I don't want to know, burst out Archippus. Father, this way of life is not for me. Please do not speak to me any more of it. Come, Onesimus, we will go up to the theater. They started off idly enough in spite of what his father had done. Archippus still intended to take home some souvenirs, especially for the little mistress Irina, whom he was planning to visit as soon as possible. They wandered along the streets of the silversmiths in the direction of the temple. But after they had gone a little while, they found that the crowd was so dense that they could hardly force their way through. "'What is happening?' asked Archippus. "'There must be some sort of public meeting. "'Look, there is Denimus, the silversmith, "'standing on the corn bushel in front of his shop, addressing a crowd. "'Can you hear what he's saying, Onesimus? "'He seems greatly excited about something.' Onesimus pressed forward, straining his ears to hear what the gesturing man was holding forth about. But suddenly the words were drowned by a tremendous shout from the throng. The whole street seemed to sway, and the words rose in a deafening roar. Great, great, great is Diana's Ephesians. Down with Paul. The temple of the great goddess Diana is in danger of being destroyed. 
They have burned the scrolls and thrown her images into the fire. Great, great, great is Diane of Ephesians. The whole affair had got out of control, and it was no longer an indignation meeting of the silversmiths, but a mob gone mad. Like a threatening sea wave, they all began to move in one direction, jostling, screaming, eyes dilated, teeth snarling, carrying all about before them. Both boys were caught up, helpless in the surging tide of humanity, and they found themselves borne up the hill towards the theater, half deafened by the monotonous cry, Great is that Diana! Great is Diana! Great is Diana of Ephesians! Onesimus got separated from his young master, but he could still see him between the shoulders of the crowd, for he was a tall boy. Archippus looked thoroughly scared, and as if to protect himself from suspicion, he was screaming his loudest, Great is Diana! And suddenly Onesimus found himself despising Archippus as a coward. Although no word had passed between them, each boy knew how the other had felt about the visit to the temple. Each knew that the other had seen, and the only two days before Archippus had watched his father fling down the scrolls and the images. Yet here he was, screaming himself hoarse for Diana. Onesimus looked away in disgust, and then suddenly he sensed an opportunity. A triumph of the moment was so sweet that he almost forgot the yelling, surging crowd around him. His young master was, at the moment, completely in his power, and his revenge was within easy reach. At first he recoiled from the idea, but it forced itself back on him. Every insult and slight, humiliation he had endured, every undeserved punishment, all the years of forced, unwilling obedience— and above all, the memory of himself being beaten with rods for the crime Archippus had committed, rose up before him in a deadly pageant. Half stupid with heat and noise and confusion, he turned to the nearest rioter and whispered as he pointed, His father burnt the Ephesian letters two days ago. The moment he said these words, he would have given his life to recall them, but it was too late. His whispers or like a spark dropped on dry tinder, and within seconds all those nearest to Archippus had turned on him, hissing and shrieking and shaking their fists. His father burnt the letters, son of a blasphemer, down with the Christ followers, great as Diana. Someone had struck him in the face, another had gotten hold of his hair. Onesimus got just caught a glimpse of the ashen face, his mouth wide open in vain protest. Great as Diana, he shrieked, and then the mob closed in on him, and he was down trampled, dying under their feet. Christ save me, Christ save me, he screamed. It was his last desperate appeal in the darkness as he fell. Two men who had been caught up against their will by the mob heard the cry. Gaius the Macedonian, strong as an ox, was scattering men right and left, flinging his arms like a windmill in his effort to reach the spot. A blow here and a well-aimed kick there, and he had cleared a space, dragged the unconscious lad from beneath the feet of the crowd. The original agitators had swept ahead, Onesimus among them, and in the noise and confusion, no one on the spot knew why the boy had been knocked down. A hush fell over those nearest the limp, bleeding figure was passed back to Articus, who was just behind him, and who, laying the boy on his shoulders, struggled to gain the side street. This being impossible, he had to be content with lifting the quiet form over the heads of the mob, while it was passed from one to another until it reached the outskirts. Onesimus had been carried up the hill, and his last sight of Archippus had been his face when the crowd closed in upon him and he fell. 
Archippus is dead, he was saying to himself, and everything else was an evil dream, far away and unimportant. Somehow he was pushed, unresisting, into the theater and was vaguely surprised when Paul's two sturdy friends, Gaius and Archicus, were dragged on to the platform, bruised, buffled, and in a danger of being lynched. They had drawn too much attention to themselves in their efforts to save the boy and had been recognized and mobbed. It might have been an hour or a day or two days that Onesimus crouched him amidst the shrieking, sweating throng and watched that, that the fool Alexander waving his ineffective hand at for silence, mouthing words that the man next to him could not have heard. Then a long, long time after, there was a silence, like the silence of death, and the town clerk stood up and said something. Onesimus neither knew nor cared what it was, although he was told later that it was a brilliant speech. Day, night, tumult, and silence, all was the same to him, for the only one thing mattered any more forever, that Archippus was dead and he had killed him. Tomorrow we'll be reading chapter 9. I love you, I'm praying for you, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.